Welcome to a special edition of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Thank you for returning to the show. If you've listened to us before, if you're a new listener, welcome to our community. This is a show all about how some of the most interesting brands out there are mobilizing their masses to become more authentic. But of course, circumstances are changing by the day right now as COVID-19's impact continues to ripple throughout the U.S. and more broadly throughout the globe. That impacts everything, including this show, which is why today we're going to go slightly more in-depth as to what the coronavirus is doing within marketing. And as a marketer, how should you be thinking about it? If you listened into our last special edition on Faking Authentic this past December, then you'll recognize today's two featured perspectives alongside my own. First, we'll have Andrew Essex, who is the founder and CEO of Plan A. He was previously CEO of Droga 5 for nine years and is also currently sitting on the board of the Ad Council. You'll also hear from strategic consultant Mike Shields. Between their outside expert opinion and my own perspective, based on not only what I'm seeing in the world, but also from my history of talking to around 60 CMOs so far on this show, I paint a picture of the COVID crisis and how it might change marketing going forward. So sit back, relax, and after washing your hands, strap in. Allow me to first provide a little bit of context here. Obviously, I don't need to enlighten you on what coronavirus is, what the danger of it is, and how it's impacting events all around the globe. And we are getting new updates every single day, not only on the spread of the virus, but also the restrictions that are coming with it. But I do have some perspective and can provide some context with regard to what is going on in the advertising industry. Seemingly overnight, a huge percentage of the advertising industry evaporated. Inventory available for purchase has shrunken dramatically. There's no live marketing events. There's no advertising inventory surrounding live sports. There's no out of home, etc. Suddenly, those investments fall by the wayside, potentially opening up an opportunity when it comes to budget. Similarly, advertising that drives people to stores or restaurants and other services is getting cut as quickly as advertisers can pull the buys. You're not going to run an ad if you're Outback Steakhouse to get people into the restaurant to have a Bloomin' Onion because while they might be craving that Bloomin' Onion after spending two hours in line at Costco and getting all of this shopping only to have to trudge through home cooking for the next month, they're not likely to come into the store right now. And that's not just because of the safety concerns and the social distancing and the capacity cuts, but in some states, they're ordering those places closed. The same logic applies to an extent to products sold in-store versus online or direct-to-consumer. What is the point right now of advertising those things? Lest we forget about every day another sport gets postponed until later in the year. So there's hardly anything to run on ESPN, for instance. They're running ESPN Classics, and that money has to go back to brands whose commitments can't be met. The coupons that you may be running via mail or via print or via email to drive people into the store clearly isn't going to be happening because not so many people are going into stores. And finally, a great deal of B2B marketing, like in-person meetings or conventions or expos, is essentially written down to zero right now. This all represents a huge percentage of the marketing spend planned in the U.S. alone. And it begs the question, when in recent memory has something like this maybe happened before? This is the first question I asked Andrew Essex and Mike Shields. And though you may have been thinking about this yourself already, I think Andrew Essex puts it nicely when comparing it to some other pretty serious events over the last 20 years. Obviously, 9-11 comes to mind. Any kind of global crisis, hurricanes, acts of God require rethinking inventory that might suddenly be out of tune or insensitive. 
obviously some very heavy events being juxtaposed with this with regard to the percentage of the world that's just coming to a standstill. But what I thought was interesting was that even with those more serious events, there was some degree of normalcy. This is Mike Shields talking about the direct comparison to 9-11. I mean, because even, you know, even 9-11, everyone's, you know, was home for days and we or everyone was watching television and, and there was no regular life and no regular media and advertising. But I mean, sports were back in a week or 10 days. Things had, there was some normalcy. You know, it, it, I, it, you hesitate to say things are unprecedented, but this is pretty unprecedented. Now, nobody knows exactly how long this is going to last and how long the ripple effects will last from this global event. And in terms of immediate action with regard to inventory that's already in flight, it is likely that the messaging can be altered with the help of partners, as Andrew Essex notes. Well, as it relates to inventory, their media agencies or their internal teams are responsible for being attuned to contextual changes. And if they don't have a contingency plan, and their advertisers, they're amateurs. Very often, a very simple adjacency will be completely incongruous with current events or dissonant in some way. And it requires the ability to be agile, to be nimble, or to have vendors who can pivot on the fly. And that's for right now. But in terms of the overarching question, what do we do going forward? there may be slightly more uncertainty, as Mike Shields points out. I mean, I kind of think they are freaking out. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be flipping about that because I, I think there's no plan for something like this. It's difficult to advertise their products. People are not going out. People don't know what to do. I think probably, I imagine every company is mapping out like four different scenarios. Like what if we, what if consumers go back to normal in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, or if it's the rest of the year as a disaster? I, I, I imagine it's, all of the above. So there is plenty of uncertainty with what is going to happen moving forward. But there is a silver lining. In fact, the good news that's in all of this is that an unbelievable amount of money and budget and resources and marketing capacity is now freed up potentially to do other things and maybe to innovate. Now, whether they actually use that opportunity to do something different or not is yet to be seen. But Andrew Essex suggests that it may just change the tone of the messages rather than the way in which those messages are placed. Everyone is simply adopting a wait-and-see policy and making sure they're not doing anything that's going to embarrass themselves or be incredibly insensitive. I have seen some media that, that seems completely wrong for the moment. I'm not going to name any names, but I, many have gone dark or simply just standing down and waiting to see or running completely innocuous messages or stuff that's more about community or, or positivity. But even so, that change in tone will only take brands so far. And that's because the current circumstances are risking investments down the line, which number in the billions. Mike Shields brought this up in a number of ways, but specifically when speaking about the Olympics. I still think they're going to do everything they can to make that happen. But if that goes away, that is a killer for NBC and the greater television advertising universe. I mean, that's just a massive amount of 20 million viewers a night, advertisers that's put in, that build campaigns around that, spend billions. You're, going to, you're already worried about losing a generation of fans to, to other media. And now you're not going to have an opportunity to have them for capture for a couple of weeks. It's just, that's a crazy scenario. Lots of question marks. Lots of dot, dot, dots, and billions of dollars potentially freed up. 
Freed up to do what exactly? Well, it's my position that it's freed up to do things that build on the secular trends that were already happening and that are now happening at an accelerated pace. And in fact, I'll go through four in this podcast today, again, based on my perspective as well as the opinions of our outside experts. Now, as I go through these four trends, I want you to keep a particular quote in mind. Now, granted, this is a quote that revolved around politics. It's attributed to Rahm Emanuel, the former White House chief of staff and mayor of Chicago. He said, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that is that it's an opportunity to go and do things you think you could not do before. Now, of course, I'm referring to brands being innovative as opposed to being predatory, and that perspective is echoed through our guests. In fact, in a particularly account-based scenario, Andrew Essex brought up that some brands could take advantage, again, while being careful about it, in particular Purell. Listen to this. There are certain marketers, let's just use Purell as an example, that, that benefit from this, obviously. So they would be foolish to let this go to waste, but at the same time, they have to be careful not to seem mercenary, not to be taking advantage of people's vulnerabilities. Now, obviously, the hand sanitizer category is getting a lot of positive buzz right now. But it's my position that no matter what category you are a part of and no matter what category you look at, we are going to experience, due to this crisis, in marketing a period of time that dramatically accelerates those broad secular trends that were already happening. We're going to get a glimpse of what the future would have been in the decades ahead without it. However, due to it, we're going to see that future pulled forward. In fact, pulled forward to now. And of course, given my somewhat unique perspective talking to CMOs all the time about how they mobilize masses, it's also my position that the things that made peer-to-peer marketing smart before are now heightened. Namely, a world where things are almost all mobile, a world where there's little or no reliance on institutional trust, and a world where there's little to no reliance on media partners. Again, we're just getting a preview of this right now. These aren't changes that are going to happen overnight, but it's changes that we're seeing flashes of in the here and now, which is, of course, why I'm presenting this special edition to you today. So without further ado, let's jump into those four trends. First things first, we're now going to see accelerated media on mobile. And that's because most folks are at home, either self-quarantining or instructed to stay in their homes, with nothing much more to do but look at their phones. All consumers right now are highly mobile, and that is regardless of their age. You don't get that very often. Of course, again, it's being forced on people, but it will dramatically accelerate mobile versus something like an in-store trend. Here's Mike Shields. Businesses that have already been trying to orient themselves toward mobile and home better are going to have to like accelerate the plans. As I mentioned, it's just a preview. And Andrew Essex also weighed the relative agility of large organizations when stating that the changes may not be so dramatic. But again, the tone will. I don't know that there will be any dramatic tactical change. Most big brands, despite what I said before, aren't as nimble as they like to be. But you will see messaging change away from anything that's overtly commercial. This is not the time to have pre-roll about something that is completely annoying. So if you're a a mobile provider, you might be talking about first responders rather than your incredible, uh, I don't know, 5G coverage, which isn't even available yet. We're already starting to see some of this acceleration in mobile with folks like CVS. So, for example, CVS had been struggling for years to gain adoption of its at-home pharmacy delivery service, its recurring revenue bundle. Scott Galloway calls this uh, the rundle. 
Over the past couple of weeks, CVS is really stepping up. They're doing the right thing here by offering at-home delivery free of charge. Now, this is both the right thing for humanity, but also for CVS's business longer term. People who have never tried this might try it during the crisis and determine that it works. It's due to rational reasons. It was efficient. It's not too much more expensive, but it's also the emotional tie that's built with the brand during this crisis. It's because of the convenience and the value over the top that CVS is providing its consumers. And it's my position that even once this crisis is over, changes in behavior will have occurred that will be instilled long after it. Secondly, we're going to continue to see a decline in institutional trust that ultimately will result in peers as one of the only trusted sources out there. So to set the scene, brands are subject to an incredible amount of risk right now, just based on their response to coronavirus and the way that they treat their employees through that. I think we've seen it a lot in service industries um, like restaurants, especially around here in the D.C. area. And so does Andrew Essex. Let's look at quick service restaurants. So they're advertising to move their product. At the same time, they're in the news about how they're treating their employees. And they can be perceived as bad actors. So people generally love brands, but when they behave in a way that seems gross, that love can go out the window. Trust is going to deteriorate if behavior deteriorates. And it's a time to really think about the consequences of actions as they relate to communication and to understand that a contextual response is required and that purpose is particularly important. On the other hand, brands who get that purpose and contextual response right can earn trust as others lose it. I thought that Mike Shields summed it up pretty succinctly here. You can screw it up or really, really uh, cement it right now. Now, counter to the trend over the last few years, it's interesting that one area of the world which is not as subject to loss of trust is within media and social platforms because those folks have doubled down on making sure the right message gets to the people. And at the end of the day, that's because people are afraid. And so we're experiencing hyper levels of sharing, hyper levels of research, and hyper levels of trust as a result in what your peers are doing and what your peers are recommending versus any other source. And that's for good or for bad. Now, Mike Shields, back this point up. You would think all the fake news stuff would have an erosion of trust in Facebook, yet people, the, the people that love it never can't, can't seem to stop posting on it. And they're actually relying on it more than ever to talk to people right now when they need it. Now, that whole concept, being more inspired to act based on the thoughts, words, and recommendations of your peers, that's been around forever. I talk to CMOs twice a week on this show about how it advances business outcomes. So the trend was already happening, but it's now accelerated dramatically, even over the last couple of days. And in my opinion, there's no reason to believe that that shift will suddenly reverse just because the crisis comes to an end. Thirdly, legacy media just can't deliver. Let's talk about events just as an example. So sponsors of live events who are depending on those investments to meet business objectives have now seen those events canceled or rescheduled for for up to six months from now. Of course, we talked about sports earlier in the show. Live sports won't be running on television. None of the media partners to whom brands had committed substantial legacy media budgets can deliver because of that. And to some extent, this secular trend was already happening. You saw declines in television audiences and television performance. But despite the numbers, brands often found it really hard to move away from the status quo, to move away from television. 
It is hard to write a line item down to zero if you've been spending on broadcast sports, going to South by Southwest, or spending on live events for years, even if the numbers were showing the investment was increasingly less effective. But now that marketers are forced to reduce all of these investments to zero and to search for alternatives, they may never return to the levels of spend that they previously enjoyed. With that budget, again, potentially freed up due to this crisis, some marketers will make bold moves on innovative things that are more effective than that legacy media. I asked our guests about this, about that trend too, and Mike Shields honed in on tactics and types of media, leaning towards performance marketing over anything else. Listen in. This is, the, this is going to be a time when everybody's going to try every kind of free shipping mechanism they can, and every kind of free streaming service or any kind of trial free service at home, anything they could do at home that they couldn't do that they don't that if they're rethinking how they live their lives and go about walking around and going to the, the need to go to stores and to congregate they're going to there's business opportunities there if you can take advantage of that this is going to be the time if you've been worried about how much you've been spending in traditional media and how much it's giving you a return maybe now's the time you rip the bandit off and really push all your media into performing media that's does everybody, does everybody become a performance brand overnight? I wonder is a question I'd be asking. Andrew Essex echoed this sentiment briefly in terms of tactics, but generally also spoke to the power of doing away with interruptive advertising. Oh, there's so many ways to be bold and pursue different methods. So, for instance, sampling, giving things away, not getting in the way with annoying or noisy or interruptive advertising. Everything is a is a touch point for communication and behaviors are really important. I noticed that certain airlines were waiving their cancellation fees, for instance. It's a perfect example. That's a form of communication. It's a form of advertising. Much better to promote something like that than an annoying anodyne brand spot that no one wants to hear right now. So, so far we've been over three trends. One, that mobile will accelerate. Two, that institutional trust will continue to decline as peers become a highly trusted source more than ever, and that legacy media just cannot deliver. The fourth trend is in the way that brands treat people, not just consumers, but employees as well. I asked our guests if they thought any permanent changes would result from the coronavirus crisis. And of course, while it is a bit of a paradox to refer to permanent change, it is undeniable that some elements of the way brands position themselves post-crisis will be significantly altered. For example, I asked Andrew Essex about it, and he noted that the treatment of employees is high on that list of things that will change, and it will change for the better. While, on a lighter note, mentioning that he hasn't seen any major examples of greedy or mercenary behavior happen quite yet with this crisis. I do think that the way that brands are treating their employees is going to have long-term consequences. If, 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 if an entity is perceived to be greedy or mercenary, it's really going to hurt them in the long term. But as I said, that's yet to happen. So why don't we revisit this question in a week and see if anyone has really um, screwed the pooch, as they say. And as employees are likely to be treated differently, so too may budgets. Zero-based budgeting in marketing, which to give a 10-second crash course is the belief in justifying all old and new expenditure as opposed to applying a marginal increase to investment across the board, that's something that people always said should happen, but many brands never truly fully did it since it would have required a rigorous rethinking of every skill they have inside their marketing department and every skill they lack. 
That introspection is often painful, sometimes too painful organizationally. Now, that zero-based budgeting is just a reality. It's driven by the external environment, not people's own drive or aspiration to be prepared for the future. This, so to speak, mandated zero-based budgeting is going to drive permanent change in business process and budget allocations. Next year, is a small business really going to go back to that one convention? Is it really going to keep going to South by Southwest, or is it really going to keep spending on physical coupon mailings? Those dollars, they're not all going to come back. They either won't come back, or it'll be literally pennies on the prior year's dollar. I asked Mike Shields about this, and while he noted that, again, this is a preview and that those may not be going away, certain elements of consumer experience may not be forgotten and may, in fact, be here to stay. I mean, it's really hard to say. I I, I don't know if I believe people are talking about how, oh, we're never going to have meetings and conferences again. I, I kind of think the moment that there's a, there's a vaccine for this thing and people feel like it's over, I think people are crave going back to regular life and sporting events and things. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not, some people have been like, oh, well, never, things are never going to be the same in terms of that. But I do think any, this is just a small example, but if you're all of a sudden getting your groceries delivered, you're going to say, wow, that's pretty easy. I'm going to do that for all the time now. Why do I need to go to stores anymore? I think it's probably, you know, if you were already not into retail or you're, you're on the fence, that's going to push you towards as much home convenience as you can. At the end of the day, these changes in treatment of consumers, in treatment of employees, in investments in both, whether or not they persist, at least on the brand side, may come down to the folks in charge. Andrew Essex called this a question of enlightened management. Listen in. I think it's a time when you have to think about the soft numbers as much as the hard numbers. And there are certain intangibles here that matter. So this is really a exercise in enlightened management. Who's running the company? What kind of teams are behind that leadership? Are they able to see around the corners here? But this is going to be a Darwinian exercise, and a lot of players are not going to handle it well, and others are going to exceed our expectations, and those are the ones I'm most interested in. That enlightened management is going to become really important because the ground is just no longer stable. In every category where you used to think relationships were sticky and consumer behaviors were hard to change, in a crisis that is just no longer the case. And history would tell us many of the shifts in behavior that happen during a crisis often do not return completely to the old normal. Now, there will be no strict right answer there and no strict wrong answer. And uh, Andrew Essex pointed this out again when pointing to the importance of embodying the originally military and now business trendy concept of VUCA. Well, I'm a big fan of the military concept of VUCA, which is volatility, uncertainty, chaos, and ambiguity. And I would say that we have to get away from this mindset of right answer and wrong answer. Um, It's not quite that binary, and there's just going to be a series of dilemmas that people have to navigate right now. So just be a little more nimble and understand that it's, it's a curvy road, not a straight road in one direction, and we will come out of this. Um, ultimately stronger and better, and that's a good thing. Instability, uncertainty, chaos. Some pretty colorful words. And here we are as marketers, and our businesses are depending on us to navigate a path during this crisis to do a couple things. To help the business mitigate some of the expected losses in the near term, but importantly, to imagine a future post-crisis 
so that you can utilize potentially some of that freed up budget and the changing behaviors of the current context to make the bold changes that position your organization to best reach and deliver for its target markets down the road in the future. As I enlightened through these four trends, and as supported by some of the perspectives of Andrew Essex and Mike Shields, again, thank you very much for joining. It's my position and my conclusion that, once again, the things that made peer-to-peer marketing smart before are now just heightened. Namely, again, a world where things are almost all mobile, a world where there is less reliance on institutional trust, and a world where there's less reliance on those legacy media tactics. The brands in each category who figure out how to navigate in this new context will be the ones who build new relationships that will endure. So if there's something I've learned from the more exciting interviews I've had on this show, I've had a spectrum of them, but again, about 50 or 60 CMOs, some of the best organizations from around the world. What I've been seeing in the media right now and from these expert opinions that I've brought in for this show, here are some recommendations of mine. Short term, Your company is depending upon you to spend your marketing dollars smartly. So cut the obvious waste, uh, like the the out of home when when your consumers aren't out of their home. Do that immediately. But you don't stop there because your company actually needs you to spend money too to drive sales. Those budgets may be freed up. Those staff resources may be freed up. And if peer-to-peer marketing was something that you had in concept that you couldn't quite tie campaign to, or it went into that bucket of, well, it was something we were going to think about for next year. That needs to be part of your response now. It needs to be part of your response to this crisis. Because guess what? Your consumers are, are at home. They're sharing with one another. They have nothing much more to do while they're working remotely. And in fact, it's something they may need to do to stay connected with each other, to avoid feelings of isolation, to avoid feelings of loneliness. And importantly, you have to remember that this isn't just a stopgap in a crisis. It's an opportunity to position your company to ride secular trends that will just keep enduring and accelerating well after coronavirus is past us. I go back to that quote from the very top. You never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I mean by that is that it's an opportunity to do things you think you could not do before. I think that with everything going on and with the trends that may have happened in the future, which are simply being pulled forward to now, that peer marketing may be a piece of the puzzle for you. And if you are ready to take the next step and presuming you're working from home, if you'd like to learn more, please check out Vivoom. It's the preeminent peer marketing solution that enables brands to partner with their customers as a top marketing channel where both the brand and the customer are mutually enriched, respected, and valued. And you can learn more about that at vavoom.co and also speak to one of the company's senior executives. But it all starts with heading to that website. You know, you go to the podcast website all the time, podcast.vavoom.co. Well, this is just taking off that podcast bit. Again, vavoom.co is where you can see it all. I want you to have a think about that. I want you to let me know your thoughts. I'm going to post this pretty much everywhere I can. As you know, we are on LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast. Leave a comment there, post there, connect with me, Adam Connor. I'm there on the platform, of course. If you're listening to us on podcast directories, feel free to leave a rating and review, but generally, let us know how you feel. Let us know what you thought about what Andrew Essex had to say or what Mike Shields had to say, and let us know what you think about these trends. Are you seeing the same thing? Do you think they're as significant? Do you think they're as strong? And do you think they will persist going forward? I want to hear all of it. And the best part about that is you don't have to leave your home to do it. Now, as is obvious to everyone, business as usual isn't quite so usual right now. So I will keep attempting to, with the same vigor and volume, 
get out these fantastic CMO perspectives to you. And so I'm going to come back again real soon with another fantastic story about how a brand is mobilizing its masses to become more authentic each and every day. And I can't wait to do that for you. And for now, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this crisis and what it is doing to branding and what it's doing to marketing. And until then, I've been your host, Adam Connor. Thank you again for listening in. And you'll hear from me again next time.